Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment podcast. My name is Mark Alifans. As always, I am joined by my mysterious and wonderful co-host, Kate <laughs> Bischoff. Kate, how are you? I think I will make it. I have been below zero for approximately 10 days, but we are above zero now, so success. So above zero, but still below freezing. Hmm. Or, oh, yeah, we'll be a bullet. Or are we in yeah. centigrade, Celsius territory here? Oh, no, we're in <laughs> Fahrenheit. Uh, I don't do that math kind of stuff well. But, uh, yes, we'll be below 32 for a bit. Maybe Monday we'll be at 43, and then we'll all be in shorts and T-shirts. But uh, we have been – our average temperature for the last 10 days, the feels like has been negative 25. So my pipes froze, burst in my basement. It's been It's been a week. So, yeah, I can't. Um, I think we're all dealing with our our own weather related crap, uh, <laughs> and and I I well, should note our hearts go out to all of yes. our friends in Texas and the South who are struggling without uh, electricity or clean the water. Uh, water. Um, our hearts and love do not go out to the politicians and uh, scheme that allowed that to be the the case with the infrastructure and electric grid, yes. uh, they are bad. Um, yes, I I actually had a dream last night and I dreamt about Texas because, you know, in Minnesota, my pipes bursting, that may maybe one on, you know, a quarter square mile or whatever. But for Texas, that's like nearly everybody and they're not going to be able to fix it for a long time. But I had a dream about Texas last night. And that Ann Richards was still the governor and that things were peachy keen and it was great. <laughs> and so I really hope that Texas gets the leadership it actually deserves at some point in the near yeah, future. So It's interesting. I mean, I don't know much about it. Uh, I actually have a good law school friend who's an energy lawyer in Texas. Maybe if we wanted to have an energy episode, we should have him on. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was reading that the the issues around their energy independence and not wanting to be regulated uh, which is why their grid does not connect to other states, dates all the way back to the 1930s. So it's yeah. been a long, a long journey for them uh, and uh, did not set them up for success now. No. And my one of my favorite tweets is, it's so weird that Ted Cruz would go to Mexico to seek refuge from Texas, which <laughs> I think is just brilliant. So yes. if you have employees in Texas, please give them some time and space to figure out how to continue to survive in theory. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll leave the Ted Cruz jokes there, but what a jerk face. Um, and then, can, you know, before all of that, less reported nationally is the fact that my city had a weather disaster last weekend also. And uh, south of Portland, we had massive icing, and basically the entire state was out of power uh, south of oh. Portland all the way down to Salem, uh, which is hundreds of thousands of people. That was Friday last week. And then we had another shot come through on, on Sunday night into Monday, 
that basically took out the rest of Portland. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I was sitting there feeling really sorry for myself because my power was out for about 18 hours and it was getting cold and I was worried. It was my wife's birthday and I was worried that her mm-hmm. ice cream cake wasn't going to make it. Uh, it did. We were good, uh, but I still have friends now. We're recording this on Friday afternoon who still don't have power locally, who've been out for uh. a week. Uh, and the icing and damage and trees that came down, you know, we're very tree heavy part of mm-hmm. the world here. Uh, and the ice on the trees and the ice on the power lines formed, you know, inch thick and just took them all down. And so south of mm. town looks like a war zone and will for quite some time. Uh, uh. So uh, it's been all over the country. All sorts of yeah. weather-related issues. Well, I'm hoping that Minnesota sends some of our folks around the country because we definitely know how to respond to this kind of weather quickly. And so I hope we share our expertise with y'all. Yeah. And well, so. we're up to 50 degrees here now. So okay, I'll sh- just try. I'll, no, <laughs> I, I, I was going to be nice and say I'll just, I'll just blow east. <laughs> okay. That to fine. help you out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, I love winter. I do. I truly do. I love being able to be outside in winter. So the last couple of days or last few days have been really rough, but I'm not ready necessarily for it to end. I know that all of our listeners can be like, what? But you know, I could use some more snow. I could use some more ice skating time. So I'm not ready for it to be gone, but uh, it's just been a little rough, but we get this regularly in February. So it's not too shocking. You know, normally I'd agree with you, but since I so rarely leave the house now <laughs> and it's so dark out in the winter here mm. because we're so, we're, you know, we're like you, we're very far north. Uh, I don't, I, I don't even have daylight to go for walks or do things. And so I'm looking forward to getting some more daylight uh, to be able to yeah. get out and walk around again. I hear you. All right. We have three really mm-hmm. interesting stories to talk about today. Uh, and the first one we're going to start with uh, is a developing story, and it's it's interesting. It's played out now for the last 24 to 36 hours. There's been a lot of drama uh, that I've been seeing on Twitter and online, and uh, it kind of hits me kind of close to home. So, so are you familiar uh, with the podcast Reply All? No. All right. So <laughs> I was introduced to Reply All. A couple of years ago, I was I was actually down in Louisiana for a conference, but went a few days early and was driving around Louisiana and Mississippi and asked uh, one of my buddies for some podcast recommendations. He's like, "Have you listened to Reply All?" And I'm like, "No, never. You know, I've heard of it, but I." He's like, "You're going to love it. Here, here's like ten episodes you should listen to that are like the best episodes of any podcast ever." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." Whoa. And then I listened to those ten episodes on my little road trip, and they were. Incredible. So, so okay. Reply All is basically a, it, it's an early kind of uh, podcast that is, it's tech related reporting and issues. And they just have done so much interesting stuff. And so they have, they have like, um, uh, re, you know, uh, segments that they do that, that from time to time about, you know, uh, online tech support. So somebody calls them with a crazy tech problem and then they investigate <laughs> it. And figure out what's wrong. And a lot of them are so crazy, you'd never believe that this is what's going on. But they get to the bottom of it and they figure it out, right? There was one, one of my favorite episodes was, you know, when you get called from somebody uh, in some part of the world 
trying to sell you something that makes you, you know, it's like a scam. So, so -hmm. in this case, it was a scam for, uh, people who had Apple products, I think that, uh, you could, you could purchase their, their diagnostic software that would help fix your problems with your, with your Apple computer. Uh, I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't remember if that's exactly what it was, but, and they'll charge you like, you know, $200 for their software suite and it's total scam. Right. And so they get this guy on the phone and they start talking to him. It turns out he's in India and it turns into a three part episode where they actually go to India and talk (laughs) to this guy and investigate the entire situation. And it's like one of these, like who's going which way. And, and there's so many layers upon layers of deceit and deception going on in this investigation. And I just sat there on this drive. My mouth was just gaping wide open, (laughs) like not believing what I'm hearing. So, so it is, it is a phenomenal, uh, really interesting podcast, even for people who aren't tech people, like the stories are super interesting. So I, you can tell I'm gushing a little bit. It's Uh one of my top three or four podcasts now that I listen to reliably. And, and they also have done some non less tech reporting uh, more recently, including a really interesting story about six months ago on uh, the Democratic Party in Alabama and Doug Jones oh, and elections. my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's fascinating and, and a kind of war within the Democratic Party in Alabama mm-hmm. and how, how do they get back to relevance? So, so again, some really interesting just Kind of reporting that I think speaks to 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 people like you and me. Um, okay. So so a couple of weeks ago, they had an episode come out, and I believe that they're also marketing this as a separate standalone podcast, but they're also playing it as part of the Reply All episodes uh, called the Test Kitchen, which is an independent okay. set of reporting um, by one of the senior. Uh, uh, reporters for Reply All, Sruthi Pinamaneni. And she she does a lot of the reporting for Reply All over the years. Uh, but she has done, over the last year, investigated and, and uh, is now reporting on uh, issues of race and class uh, and discrimination inherent in the culture at Bon Appetit magazine. And uh, this lasted... Ooh. Okay. Yeah, and this lasted over about ten years, and I learned all this history about Bon Appetit, and and I believe it's a it's a uh, part of Condé Nast, uh, and they mm-hmm. about how you know they were doing okay, but then they brought in this new guy to be the CEO who was m- less a food guy and more of like a let's make this picture look pretty kind of guy, um, and have some style and some okay. fashion around the food, um, and so. Uh, ch- totally changed the reporting and the culture and the style of the magazine uh, in a way that financially and outwardly extremely successful over the last five to ten years. But yeah, inwardly, I was gonna say like when I think of Bon Appetit, yeah, I was gonna say when I think of Bon Appetit, I think of like these beautiful images of dishes that look scrumptious. So that's what immediately comes into my mind. So okay, he was so successful because success it imprinted. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 arguably a little bit less about the food and more about the presentation. Yeah, now than maybe yeah. what it once was, and the 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 problem identified here is that this new culture and kind of a little more adversarial kind of culture internally at Bon Appetit magazine was having a disproportionate impact uh, against uh, uh, employees of color. 
uh, and mm. being able to break into uh, being one of the chefs that's featured more more seriously or more okay. frequently, and that it was really a, a bunch of white chefs that had an easier time of breaking through. And, and I'll, I'll sorry, go ahead. Systemic to the culinary world at this point in time. I mean, lots of critiques of that. Right. And this is, mm-hmm. I think this is the case all over the place, uh, but very in-depth, very good reporting. It's a several-part series, and I've only listened to the first two parts so far. Um, I may actually only be halfway through the second part. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you all go and listen to that if you're interested. Um, it's, really, it's really well done. Now, it has now, though, created drama at Reply mm-hmm. All. <laughs> so Reply All is publishing this. Reply All is is a podcast that's part of the Gimlet network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gimlet does all sorts of podcasts, and Gimlet was recently bought out by Spotify. So it's a, a kind of oh. all reports up to Spotify now. Um, and in the wake of this podcast coming out, another employee who hosts his own uh, couple of podcasts through Gimlet. Uh, I believe his name is Eric Eddings starts a Twitter string. This was today is the 16th. This was, or today's the 19th. As we record this, this was on the 16th and I'll read you a couple of these, these tweets. He says last week, I got an email from Shruti. Shruti's the senior reporter about mm-hmm. reply all's test kitchen series. I had been avoiding listening, but once I did, I felt gaslit. The truth is, uh, R.A. and specifically P.J. and Sruthi. So P.J. is one of the two main hosts, P.J. Vote, mm-hmm. uh, of um, Reply All. R.A. is referring to Reply All, right? Right. Uh, and Sruthi, I'll, I'll start that sentence over. The truth is R.A., Reply All, and specifically P.J. and Sruthi contributed to a near identical toxic dynamic at Gimlet. Oh. Okay, the Bon Appetit staffer's stories deserve to be told, but to me it's damaging to have that reporting and storytelling come from two people who have actively and aggressively worked against multiple efforts to diversify Gimlet staff and content. All right, then he goes into a bit of background about this and, and mm-hmm. talks about how Reply All is, is basically a powerful uh, subset of Gimlet because they're the most popular, one of the original podcasts, and that PJ and his co-host Alex... Uh, both have kind of a disproportionate amount of power internally as a result. He continues to go through this this string and talks about how PJ and Shruti were not supportive of a labor organizing drive that he was a significant part of a couple of years ago. Now, he, as part of this conversation, is... Uh, conflating has has a little bit of a um, implies that there's some confusion going here. I don't think there's confusion, but he's tying together conflating support for diversity with support for the union. Those two things and are not the same. Those things are not the same, though. In this case, they may be interwoven in terms of who was bringing forth the union organizing drive and the reason why they were doing that. And that's the implication I get here. And I don't have depth mm. into how that all came about. And we don't have the time to get into that level of depth. <laughs> but it's, it's you know, an interesting, I think there's a difference between 
what happened at Bon Appetit and what's happening at Reply All. But interestingly, so Shruti apparently was already about to leave Reply All and this test kitchen story was going to be her last, her last hurrah with Reply All. But PJ, who's one of the, you know, who's the other, one of two, two co-founders of Reply All, uh, came out in response to this yesterday and said, I'm sorry. I actively opposed this effort and I see where they're coming from and I have apologized and I am sorry. And basically goes on to say, yeah, it's true. When this organizing was going on, I was not supportive and I was a bit of a whiny little bitch about it. My words. I think he said whiny maybe something, but like basically that's what he was saying. Right. And, and said that he has voluntarily decided to step back from the show to do some listening uh, as part of that. What's come out since is that he will not be coming back at all. And I don't know, oh. it's a little unclear. You know, he makes it seem pretty clear in his note that he was voluntarily stepping back. Um, Gimlet's commentary on this indicates that he will be stepping away from the show permanently. Uh, so that makes it sound a little bit wow. like a quit, a quit firing. I'm not sure. We don't have enough information yet. Right. Um, but I thought this was an interesting thing to talk about uh, in terms of both being able to see what Mr. Eddings here says in terms of a lack of support and his view of a lack of support from from PJ in particular, but from rep the Reply All team altogether uh, in in opposing the union. And he goes on to say they don't have any any um, they're not bound to support it or support the efforts, but that it just feels and seems extremely hypocritical to him that they're doing this reporting on the test kitchen situation mm. when he draws so many parallels to what's going on at Reply All. And I, I just find this fascinating because of the union piece. I mean, it's fascinating anyway, and, and a little heartbreaking because mm -hmm. I love this podcast so much, and it's <laughs> not ever going to be like what it was. The and same. I hope it comes out better in the end. Uh, but you know, I don't like seeing the drama and knowing that these people I've come to care about a bit through their reporting and right that a, maybe they're, maybe they're kind of assholes in the background, but B, um, I feel some loss over this, but you know, the union piece of it is really interesting to me because I'm not somebody who's going to be out there supporting a union in and of itself. I, you know, I think that there are some positives that union brings and some definite negatives that unions bring to the picture. And I say that as, as a somewhat biased, more defense oriented mm -hmm. attorney, um, but also one who wants to improve workplaces. <laughs> and so, so I don't necessarily think that that ties specifically to the union. And there's a lot of comments on Twitter that are, if you don't support unions, you can't ever do reporting like this. You can't, you can't be, uh, you're not a good person. You're a terrible person if you don't support the unionization effort, right? And, and inextricably tying that effort to diversity and inclusion, right? And workplace improvements. And I'm, oh. I, it's, it's right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know, I know you have thoughts and I want your thoughts so on this. Many thoughts. <laughs> so first off, let me say that at one time, approximately seven years ago, I worked at a firm that had a labor practice and a concern had come up with an, uh, with an employer 
that was sexual harassment in nature. And the employer had done what the collective bargaining agreement said. The collective bargaining agreement said if there's any issues of harassment amongst union members, the union will take care of it. Like, that is wrong. Like, that is a fake... Uh, I think what is that called a failure of misrepresentation it's a there's there's a claim that you as a union member can sue the union for not handling things the right way but the union had negotiated this with a multi-employer association so I I don't care what they think the 49ers the operator 49ers had negotiated this with the association of general contractors in Minnesota and the association of general contractors thought that that was okay and I'm like you as the employer should never agree to that. And no. this is a union violation. So I would, I have a personal reason to not trust a union to handle diversity and equity issues appropriately all the time. That burden remains swiftly and strongly with the employer. So the, I don't want, it, there certainly is a place and there certainly are good intentions, but I don't want the burden to be falling on unions because I'm not comfortable that they're going to do a good job, but especially when they're policing each other. Like, I think that's a problem. Um, second, if it turns out that your BIPOC employees are on one side of the unionizing campaign and you, all of your white cisgendered folks are on the other side of the unionizing campaign, you as the employer have a problem. Oh yeah, that that's you the, have to, that's the tremendous point. Yeah, I, I can see where if I am, I don't want the union. You're going to think that I don't like my BIPOC employees, but you have a general culture problem that you, as the employer, have to solve out because that might be a union. It might be closely tied to the unionizing issue, but you, as the employer, have a culture problem that needs more analysis and needs some remedies to it. So, I. I get where that gentleman is concerned about how they get intertwisted in things, but it's that's a bigger issue for the employer to handle. So, ugh, it's what yeah, a it's interesting, and I, I want to be I want to be even keeled here in terms of representing everybody's point of view, um, mm -hmm. and I, and and I you know I, I both appreciate the the thought around um, the call out about it and drawing the parallels, uh, and I also uh, can appreciate. You know PJ for coming out and and issuing the apology mm -hmm. like a grown up, um, yep. Uh, as opposed to it sounds like Truthy hasn't really done that. Um, who's the yeah? But she's reporter. peace out, so she's peace out anyway. Although I think it was other work with Gimlet, I don't know what's going to happen with that. Oh yeah, so, that makes it more interesting. So again, a little bit of speculation there on my part, or, or not having perfect recall on the several articles I've read about this and all the tweets I've read in the last uh, twelve to. 18 hours. I didn't hear about PJ until this morning. And so as soon as I saw that, I've been kind of digging in all day and it's, it's really interesting. And by the time this airs on Monday, there may be even more that's happened. And if there's follow-up, we'll talk about it in our next episode. But, yeah. uh, for now, uh, RIP, well, they said reply all, we'll keep going. RIP current version of reply all. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, and yet I can still have some hope because they, they have done some tremendous work and, and tremendous work in diversifying the reporters, uh, you know, bringing diversity to that team. And uh, I, I have hopes for the future that it will um, continue with the same level of interest 
uh, and uh, tremendous reporting that they've done before. So good. Okay. So do you want to hear about some super sad things? Because I have nothing positive to say over here today. Oh, this is all all a negative episode today. <laughs> okay. So, so I, I was going to say, like, let's do a sandwich where we can put your negative stuff right in the middle. But that was a pretty <laughs> negative story. And that the other one I'm going to do story. is two. Foreshadowing. Okay. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. If you want hope, <laughs> seek it elsewhere. Okay. So I've got... Two stories. One is significantly more important societally than the other, but I think they both highlight some big issues that employers can take, even though these are not employer-related issues. Okay? So I want to set that up first. So the first one, the lesser societal impact one, comes from Boston College. Now, Boston College is located, unironically, in Boston. And no. It is a, <laughs> it is sorry. A, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I made the joke in on purpose. Uh, it is a Jesuit, a Catholic Jesuit university or Jesuit Catholic school. As a Catholic, I never learned how you, which one you say first. So I apologize to all those Catholics who know how to do that, but I don't. Um, they have a relatively large university. It's not a very small school. It's one of what the big four within Boston city limits. And only 4% of their student body is black. Really? 4%. I find that shocking. Right? It's so I mean, even even accounting for for racism in society and and less representation than than what you have in the population at large, that is a shocking number to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So this this comes from the... uh, National Catholic Reporter. So I'm going to trust that they are correct on that number. Okay. So there were incidences that happened in a dorm and they have one particular wing of a dorm that is called the multicultural learning experience where they put their students of color with white and this particular women are all on this particular group. The males are on a different side of the floor because again, this is a Catholic university. They are not going to mix the sexes, right? So the multicultural learning experience houses their black and Latina women, okay? And it's intended to foster diversity on campus overall, okay? However, there were multiple instances of overt racism, including two white male students walking down the hall singing songs about, quote unquote, colored girls, Okay, so there's racist singing. There appears to be other instances that occur that are all with racism undertoned. Okay, and this statement of the school is that BC has zero tolerance for actions that make students feel unwelcome and will hold students accountable for their actions. However, the small by most standards groups of Black and Latina, Latinx, have said that the school is not responding fast enough or strict enough with when these conduct happens, in contrast to how the school has responded to students who break COVID protocols. So they know the school can respond swiftly and with you know strong action if you break COVID protocols, but that seems to be significantly slower if it happened, if it has to do with racism, and that's one of their chief complaints. 
right? So okay, it's an interesting analogy, I thought, between that. They're seeking three things that I think are very common and happen and are often their response to uh, racism or sexism in the workplace, which is one, they want more reporting channels. Two, they want to know the sanctions for students, which I'm not sure is something that I know, I know I as an employer would maybe say this person is no longer here for violation of our policies. And if any of the other employees know what happened, well, they know it was because they violated the harassment policy. I don't say I fire this person for violating the harassment policy. Right. You unless, don't confirm the facts around it. Right. Unless it's really necessary. Right. Right. Unless it Absolutely. is like this, it's clear that this, there's no ambiguity around it at all. Then I might use it as a teaching moment, but I'm not going to, you know, share everybody's dirty laundry because it's not a it's it's not appropriate and it's not something that we should get in the habit of okay yep this the third is training they want a lot more training for students and for faculty around these kinds of issues which is often the response or the preventative that we put as employment lawyers put into place so i thought it was really interesting that that's what they were asking for which was what we do in employer situations. It's nice when those things line up. Yeah, it is. I mean, nice it's too bad that they have to be there asking for it and it probably should have been done already, but right. That strikes okay. me as well within the realm of possible yeah. <laughs> remedies. Right. Right. And they're asking this of leadership. Okay? So they say say that leadership needs to be the one bringing into the this stuff. It's not just, you know, the housing people. It's not just, right. you know, one department. They want leadership to do that. Which brings me to my second story of how when leaders are not great on these issues, worse things happen. And this is around the incredible spike we've seen in potential hate crimes around Asian Americans since the pandemic really took off in the United States. For example, in Oakland, California, a 91-year-old Chinese man, or yes, Chinese man, was assaulted. Another individual was attacked and killed in San Francisco. A Vietnamese woman has been assaulted and robbed of money in San Jose. And a Filipino man was attacked with a box cutter on a subway in New York City. And this incredible spike, many of these have been either caught on video or been documented other ways. And in fact, one organization that has a tracker that says Stop AAPI Hate Tracker has tracked over 2,800 instances of crimes against Asian Americans since March, between March and um, December 31 of 2020. So we've seen this huge spike in hate around Asian Americans. So if it's happening out in society, it is most likely happening in your employment settings as well. Maybe not actual physical assault, but certainly some verbal attacks. Is that being tied to COVID? Yes. I'll get there in a second. Okay. I will remember the last speaking engagement I had before the pandemic started, I think it was actually on March 9th of last year. Um, I was talking about, you know, you have to it, especially as we know that COVID is coming and that we're going to be changing our protocols, you're going to have to watch your employees for 
And he increased his incidences of harassment around being an Asian American. And this one woman bravely raised her hand from across the room. I mean, there's 200 people in the room. She bra- bravely raised her hand and I, I called on her because I don't necessarily wait to the end for questions. And she said that she had just fired four of her white male staff members for blaming two Asian Americans for the pandemic. And that she had come down and said that this is what she was going to do. And I'm like, plotting her from the top, right? Because like, that's what we want to happen. If there is that harassment, when it was severe, and in this case, it was severe, uh, it warranted termination. When I talk about leadership, though, this is leadership from the top of our country using racist language to describe the pandemic. And then the incredible spike of hate crime and harassment that follows it. So it is, I have always said that it is important to have your leadership on board, especially with DEI and B stuff, but it has never been more important for leadership to take, to set the tone, to know what to do in these kind of situations and to say that we're not going to tolerate this. I mean, yep. if you're a coworker, Checking in with your Asian American Pacific Islander buddies is important. Maybe you know, shifting some workloads, giving them time and space, flexibility, all that kind of stuff, because this has really hit this particular community really hard. But from a leadership standpoint, this is something that our employment leaders need to be taking care of as well. Absolutely. Uh, and modeling best behavior around it right. as well. Right. It's an important call out. Wow, yeah. I had not so, I had not realized the extent of you know the shift in in assaults and crime uh, related to that. it's just astounding. Yeah, one gentleman has a tracker. Um, it's for the Asian American Advancing Justice recorded three thousand hate incidences in their reporting system since April of twenty twenty by far the highest number in the tool's four-year history, which normally collects something like a few hundred. So to jump to 3,000 is so significant. So for the HR folks out there, double-check your people. Absolutely. Well, on that cheery note... (laughs) Told you, not happy. Kate, are you... Are you... I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Are you a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No. I'm so sorry to people who think I should watch it, but I was in college studying awfully damn hard at that time. So, no. Yeah, so I I have an interesting kind of journey around it because I think my initial reaction was I I, I knew about the movie, right? They had Mm -hmm. come out in the the, earlier in the 90s, and it was was bad, for lack of a better way. (laughs) Putting it and so so when there was then a TV show that came out and I was in college at the time too, uh, I was like, yeah, no, thanks, but no, not watching a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But my wife got super into it, uh, okay, and go Tracy, yeah. So Tracy got into it, and um, and it turned out that the show was created uh, and produced by an individual named Joss Whedon, uh, who you may know from mm-hmm. other. Uh, bigger directing uh potentially like saved star wars 
potentially saved Star Wars. He he directed, I think, at least the first Avengers movie, if not one more after that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the first Avengers movie is John Favreau, and that's uh, Iron Man. But the Avengers as Avengers just, Avengers group, movie, right? As a group would be Joss Whedon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I'm sorry. I'm a diehard MCU fan. Yeah, so. I know. I know. Correct me. Correct me, please. Um, so, and he's also um, a, an alum of my alma mater, Wesleyan University. So, within Wesleyan, we also had kind of this increased interest in the show because he's one of those. Uh, you know, it's a small school uh, with a disproportionate number of people who've managed their way into into Hollywood, uh, and he was one of them and a very high profile one. So, yes. You know, we are uh, big fans of Buffy and actually started watching it with our girls uh, about six months ago. We're working our way through. I think we're somewhere in the fifth season now uh, as part of a rewatch. And it's been an interesting journey for us uh, because so much of of what was discussed at the time uh, about (laughs) Buffy was that it's a feminist show with an extremely powerful and confident and and real female protagonist who kicks ass and takes names and mm-hmm. um on rewatch it's much less that than we remember <laughs> and in fact yes. um one of the characters Xander is played by Nicholas Brendan is is awful i mean he you know we all thought he's like he's the goofy male sidekick back then uh and instead, like all of his lines are about lusting after his two female friends, and about you know just it is just cringeworthy. Uh, mm. and, and I'd say all of this as as kind of background for for some interesting news that came out uh, over the last ten days or so. So so it just happens to hit us because we're in the middle of a rewatch, but it, it would have been impactful anyway. So one of the actresses from from the show the show aired uh i want to say it was like 99 to maybe even earlier 97 to 03 i think so we're talking you know 25 years since the first season came out um one of the actresses uh charisma carpenter who played cordelia cordelia chase on on the show came out with a tweet on the 10th of february and it's pretty long i'm not going to read the whole thing but but basically she came out and said For nearly two decades, I have held my tongue and even made excuses for certain events that traumatize me to this day. Joss Whedon abused his power on numerous occasions while working together on the sets of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Angel was a spinoff of Buffy, and she uh, she moved over and was one of the stars on that show. Um, While he found his misconduct amusing, it only served to intensify my performance anxiety, disempower me, and alienate me from my peers. The disturbing incidents triggered a chronic physical condition from which I still suffer. It is with a beating, heavy heart I say I coped in isolation and at times destructively. She then goes on to talk about another situation that came up last year where uh, the actor Ray Fisher publicly accused Joss of abusive and unprofessional behavior toward the cast and crew during reshoots of Justice League on the set in 2017. Uh, and that had gotten back to kind of my my world and some knowledge there that had really put a tarnish on Joss already. And this is kind of the icing on the cake. Uh, and Charisma Carpenter goes through to talk 
at length in her post about the things he did, uh, including, for example, an ongoing passive, ongoing passive aggressive threats to fire her, uh, calling her fat to colleagues when she was four months pregnant and weighed 126 pounds. Oh. Um, he was mean and biting, disparaging about others openly, and often played favorites, pitting people against one another to compete and buy for his attention and approval. Uh, ultimately, this resulted in her being fired from the show uh, the next season after her pregnancy was over. So, wow. so this is this is you know it's twenty years since the show, almost since that show ended. So, so this was kind of big news, but it comes on top of these other allegations about race and uh, you know, that Ray Fisher brought forward from the justice league set uh, and just, uh, uh, you know, a hostile and abusive kind of working environment. Interestingly, the rest of the cast for the most part have come out completely in support of her. And oh. while they, they may not be explicitly taking sides. They say we, we stand with anybody who raises allegations of abuse. It's enough to put out there that that there's something there's there's a there there most definitely mm. and and in fact uh, just today I was seeing some reporting there's a, a apparently a Buffy reboot that's supposed to come out um, uh, at some point that's being talked about being in production and Sarah Michelle Geller who played Buffy came out today and said especially in light of what came out from Charisma Carpenter. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested <gasps> in coming and, or reprising the role. I don't know if it would be as a different character or what, but um, super interesting. And so, wow. so the interesting coda to this story, and, and again, the legal issues here are minimal. This is so long ago, any, mm -hmm. any legal remedy statute of limitations would have long passed, but long passed. Uh, it is coming back to bite him 20 years later. But the interesting coda to this is, is the, the actor who played Xander, uh, Nicholas Brendan, who I talked about being a toxic character on the show. Mm -hmm. He came out a few days ago and said, he's not going to comment on this. He had just suffered an injury. And this is where, I'm not making this up, Kate. The headline, uh, and there are a number of articles out here with variations on this headline, Buffy star won't comment on Joss Whedon until surgery for penis paralysis is complete. <gasps> what? What? So, yeah, so apparently, and some of the articles get into some significant detail that I will spare you. Uh, about Please. how he ha he had a a bad fall and somehow paralyzed his butt and gonads and was going in for surgery about it and he's like I I have to focus on that I'm not going to so but he was yes, like the one do. right but he was kind of the one holdout in the middle of all of this now the timing on when he or if he had his surgery is a little bit unclear he did come out with comments uh, that's, it says that he came out with while he was waiting for his surgery. So he may have gotten enough flack from those comments while he's waiting for his PP surgery to, <laughs> to, to, to come out. And he, he said, uh, in typical Xander style fashion, I kind of can't, ex I can't, he's one of those, I can't extricate the character from the actor. Um, yes. 
you know, he, he, he both, he said both, yes, there were transgressions on set, but then he also defended uh, Joss Whedon and said, I mean, unless you know Joss, it's kind of like, you know, out of this, I hope that growth comes and healing and then being a better person and better people. Uh, uh, I mean, were there transition transgressions? Yes, there were to me as well. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, he's, he's, he also says, I'm, you know, I love Joss and he's a friend and, uh, want to be supportive of him, of him too. So he, he both sides wow. the issue, uh, which to me just, it had this kind of poetic wrong, mm-hmm. bad poetry <laughs> ending to it <laughs> where he, he couldn't simply be supportive uh, he had to both sides it in the same way that I feel like his character would have 20 years ago. Oh, well then, then it's fitting maybe. Oh yeah. man. That's like, there, there are people out there that if I heard they engaged in that kind of behavior, it would break my heart. And I'm sure that there are for everybody out there um, that, that it would break their heart that this happened. Uh, Joss is probably not personally for me, but I'm sure for lots of people that that they would have that response to it. Um, we're, you know, it's the reckoning is not over. And no, no, and and even though this isn't a legal reckoning, right? That there's there's so much more to it than that. I know we're a legal podcast, and that's what we talk about. But you know, the the reckoning uh, and long overdue reckoning of Me Too uh, continues. And is a force for good. Uh, and mm-hmm. these things need to be exposed Agreed. because it's every one of these that gets exposed is another one that maybe teaches a lesson and prevents the next one from happening. Absolutely. Well, so happy, Mark. Woohoo! Well, what? you know, I figured, what? you know, <laughs> penis paralysis surgery would be a giggly way at least to, to finish up, you know. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> well, people can find me at K8BISCH uh, on Twitter or Kate Bischoff at LinkedIn. So where can people find you, Mark? You know, Mark Alifans on LinkedIn, <laughs> Salad Pants on Twitter, uh, and Instagram for that matter. We never talk about Instagram, poor Instagram. Uh, oh, my handle for Twitter is the same as my, my Insta. Yeah, so same, same for you- both of us. If you like snarky political humor in my stories or pictures of my cat elsewhere, feel free to join in. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the Bullard Law website. Uh, I now am up there with mm-hmm. a very pretty picture and profile, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> um, good for you. Yeah. So, Kate, let's try to find some more uplifting stories next time. Sure. I'll find some real bad ones that we can say, this is a positive outcome. Yes. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. See y'all later. <laughs> <laughs>